All right, I'm a little nervous because if you could see what I see behind the scenes here and how many slides there are, you would get nervous too. I mean, there'd be people heading for the door. And uh, I'll just give you the, the advanced warning as we look at part four, matters of the heart. I'm not going to read you every scripture I have on a slide today. Okay, the, this will all come from Exodus chapter 6 through chapter 10. And you can, you can read along where we're jumping in and out. But I promise you, if you go back, what we're going to talk about today is there. And just me reading 6 through 10, because sometimes I'm a slow reader, would slow us down. So I'm not going to read every verse because... To, to get what God's saying to us today, you won't have to read every single verse. But I, I'm going to share with you what, what God began to show me. And, and it's, it makes me look at it differently. I was telling the Sunday school class that I always believed that the, the plagues were a showdown between God and the gods of Egypt. And, and I still believe that to an extent. But... More importantly, the, the gods of Egypt, I was talking to my kids about this yesterday, the, the power that the gods of Egypt actually had was in the hearts and the minds of the Egyptians. And in the hearts and the minds of some of the Hebrews that were beginning to buy into the culture they were in. Because there, there really is no raw. There is no set. There, there is no Anubis. The, these are all, and, and there's a lot of people will tell you, oh, well, these are manifestations of demons. No, this is just very simply a polytheistic way of worshiping nature. And you, you'll find it in cultures all over the world. It's not unique to Egypt, but God's going to use Egypt kind of as a whipping boy to, to make sure that everyone knows there's only one God. And it's definitely not one of the gods of Egypt. So in Exodus chapter 6, the, this is just after we ended in chapter 5 where, where Moses was kind of whining, like, God, why are you going to send me? And we're going to see that again. But he says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, who the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arms and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Okay, one phrase that I want you, I keep having you lock these phrases away because they're going to come back. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord your God. Lock that away. It's not going to come back for a few weeks. So really bury it in there good, because we're going to dig it back out later. <clears throat> uh, 
Moses spoke to the people of Israel and they did not listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Okay, this is where I can relate to Moses better than any part of Scripture. When we go to speak to people about the good news of Jesus, about the gospel, a lot of times they simply will not hear it because of their broken spirit. And to be fair, the harsh slavery mindset that ensnares them to the cares of this world. We're going to cover a huge chunk of scripture really quick because this is just a chiasm and and a uh, genealogy, but it's there. If you've been with us through Genesis, a chiasm is where it builds in, hits a central point, and mirrors itself on the way out to show us the emphasis and the important part of what's coming up in the writing. And I know that's real itty bitty print, but the, the phrases here, speak unto Pharaoh the king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, is Moses' reply. And Pharaoh the king of Egypt, it just keeps building. And then when it gets to the central line in the genealogy, it points to Moses and Aaron. Why, do we, why are we looking at Moses and Aaron so intently? Because if we get caught up looking at Pharaoh, we're going to miss the boat. Because where I, I'd always looked at this was God acting out to change Pharaoh's mind. God didn't need to change Pharaoh's mind. Pharaoh's mind, you're going to see it as we go through, will change very quickly. And God's going to have to intervene to help Pharaoh out. Because Pharaoh is in a polytheistic world. He has no problem believing there's a God he didn't know about. He doesn't recognize him yet, but he has no problem believing in him. And the problem we're going to run into with Pharaoh is it's very easy for a polytheist to say, okay, I accept your God as one of the many gods that I believe in. And no, I'm not going to let your people go. It's very easy. And, and we get sometimes so focused on Pharaoh, we're not paying attention to what's going on with Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are the guys that God is genuinely trying to convince of something. Aaron, because he heard the stories his whole life. Moses, because he grew up in two kingdoms. While it talks a lot about Pharaoh, I want you to understand the real heart of the story, and I didn't realize it until I studied this, is Moses and Aaron. Because these are the guys that are going to become the spiritual leaders of God's people during the Exodus. That gets us through chapter 6. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that fast? Okay? We, we can all wave the hanky. Okay? You can get Pentecostal today and wave the hanky. Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh. Okay? And, Mo, and the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Okay? Pharaoh is the only one who believes that he is a God-man. And suddenly God says, Wait a minute. I've made you look like that to Pharaoh. Because... The only thing that, and I don't have time to break it down, the only reason Moses keeps getting almost unrestricted access to Pharaoh is because Pharaoh sees him as more than a man. If he were just a common man, he would never walk into the presence of Pharaoh as easily as Moses does. 
So there's something a little supernatural and for you government-minded people, really political there. That he's allowed to come in like a dignitary of a foreign country with almost unrestricted access to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Now, again, Moses and Aaron. I, I never picked up on this before. And it's still not really the heart of the story. So we're going to get there. We've got to do a lot of digging today. You'll speak what I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Okay? <clears throat> again, I, I pick on the Charlton Heston movie. I pick on the Prince of Egypt cartoon. They always have Moses being the one saying, let my people go. That's not true. Aaron says it. Moses says it to Aaron. Aaron says it to Pharaoh. It's the ancient world version of telephone. Except the message doesn't get messed up. Here's what we got to pick up on. And I struggled with this and I struggled with it and struggled with it until I went back and read the Hebrew. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And the reason I struggle with that, all growing up, I was told that God made us as humans with free will. So if God's hardening Pharaoh's heart, if God is making Pharaoh take a certain position, is that still free will? I struggled with it. And, and if you continue the verse here, it says, I'll multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. What I need you to see is God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And that was something where I thought, that, that's not free will. There's no way that's free will. Until I looked in the Hebrew and there's two words for harden. The, the words here that you're going to run into over and over, and, and I'm not going to stop and break down each of them because these terms come up a bunch in these four chapters. But Chizuk Halev is the strengthening of the heart or to put great courage into. The second is kibud halev, which is the actual hardening or making heavy or making stubborn the heart of an individual. Now, how many of you have ever had somebody speak something to you that made you feel encouraged? Chizuk halev. You were encouraged in your heart. How many of you have gotten news or, or just struggled to the part where you had kibud halev, where there was a heaviness of your heart, or I'm going to do it this way because this is the way I've always done it, and I'm more stubborn than the people who are trying to make me change my ways. If you haven't dealt with that, it happens a lot with five-year-olds, okay? It really does. And it happens again with 13-year-olds. And, and, okay, don't look at the floor, son. I wasn't talking about you specifically. And it happens a lot with 43-year-olds. I don't think there's an age limit on being stubborn. And I've had people tell me that that's one of my greatest qualities is that you're stubborn. And now I have scriptural proof that maybe some of my stubbornness comes from God himself. That it's God-given stubbornness. But we're going to see over and over that Pharaoh 
has this ability in himself a lot of times to strengthen his own heart, to put courage into his own heart. And then we're going to see the point in which I think Pharaoh's done and God steps in and encourages his heart and says, hey, now, nah, buddy, you're going to keep going. You got this. Come on, one more round. You ever dealt with, you ever played cards with, with kids and they're ready to quit because you just keep beating them so bad and you just keep talking them into one more hand, one more hand, one more hand. Xavier's over here like, Dad, Dad, that's not how Blackjack went the other day. But, but what we're looking at, and, and this is a very limited scope of them. Evelyn was really excited to help build this slide. You look at all these different gods that the Egyptians believed in. And, and I mean, this is, a, this is not all of them. And to be fair, there's a couple images up there. Uh, one of them's not really a god. It's a demon in their, mythi- in their mythology. But I won't break down all of those things for you. If you want to study that, we can do it another time. I love teaching world history. It's fun. But Pharaoh himself is a god. Another depiction of this uh, that we came up with Right in the middle of it is Osiris, which is one of the main gods of the Nile River, which is one of the main representative deities of Egypt. And who always seems to be depicted as Osiris in their death? Pharaoh. So where I'd always concentrated on God hitting all these other deities, the the reality is, is that God was speaking to Moses and Aaron and he was speaking to Pharaoh because Pharaoh was the physical representation of all of the gods of Egypt. It was his job. And in case you don't know what a Pharaoh does, the Pharaoh rules over the people and organizes them to make sure that he has an adequate way to get to the afterlife. And while he's living on earth, he does his best to interpret the will of the gods because they are his equals. He is the God King. And and you'll hear it referenced really well in some of the portrayals of that where he says, I am the morning and the evening star. What I say in Egypt is law. And, you know, in his eyes, he's a God. So keep that in mind as we start to go through the plagues and we're going to go very quickly. Uh, The first thing that happens is the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, Aaron, you're going to take your staff, you're going to throw it on the ground and turn it into a serpent. And sure enough, they go in and what's the first thing that Pharaoh says? Well, you know, prove that you're really here speaking on behalf of a God. So what's Aaron do? He throws his rod on the ground, it becomes a snake. So what does Pharaoh do? He calls in the magicians because, hey, this is a magic show. Egypt's got talent. Come on, boys, let's show them. And they all start to throw their sticks on the ground too, which I I did steal from the prince of Egypt here. Yeah, Moses and Aaron are going to find out really quickly they're playing with the big boys now. And if you've seen the cartoon, that joke makes more sense. But these guys come out and they throw their staffs on the ground. And they all turn into serpents. But according to Exodus chapter 7, verse 12, but Aaron's staff 
swallowed up their staff. Okay, it doesn't say his serpent swallowed their serpents. And that's what it's always depicted as because that's easier for us in our mind to see. I'm telling you, the supernatural and the tried and true proven word of God says the staff swallowed their staffs. That's terrifying. That's almost scarier to me than snakes is one stick eating a bunch of other sticks. I mean, I'd be done if I'm Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And this is one of the times where Pharaoh looked and said, hey, all the acts that you guys are doing, my magicians are doing. So I'm really not afraid of your God. I'm not afraid of your God because my magicians just did what your God told you to do. Can you see the attitude of of stubbornness and how cocky Pharaoh must be at this point. And the first plague, God commands Moses. He says, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he refused to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent and you'll say to him, the Lord, of the, God, Lord God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed and thus saith the Lord, by this you'll know the Lord. You'll know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn to blood. And the fish in the Nile will die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary from drinking water of the Nile. Think about this hard for us because we don't have rivers very much. We had a river for a few weeks. Can you imagine somebody walking out there and hitting it with a stick and it turns to blood and everything in it dies? And to get you a, a visual picture of the Nile, you can barely see from one bank to the other on the Nile. It's that wide a river. Ugh. And, and God took it a step farther. He has Aaron stretch out his staff and the, the water they'd already collected that was in bowls in their house turned to blood. Okay. There's something I hadn't picked up on before that, that when that happens, only then do the magicians replicate what they did. They could replicate it in a small bowl but the river's already turned to blood. We can't prove to you we did that, Pharaoh. But hey, we can do exactly what this guy's doing. We'll just do it on a small scale. And for seven full days, the water's blood. And, and that's one of the other things we're, we're going to hit on just a little bit today is that God will begin to distinguish himself through precision. And none of the gods of Egypt are that precise in anything they do, which is a wake-up call to Aaron and Moses and to Pharaoh. But the magicians duplicate it again. The next plague, they bring in frogs. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Uh, the, the part that made me a little queasy was the fact the frogs get in their kneading bowls, so you can't even make supper without getting a frog in there. Even though... 
the Egyptians obviously weren't Cajun, or they just had a frog leg boil, but we'll move on. <clears throat> and, and we get the Egyptian magicians again come up and they make frogs show up out of nowhere, which is just sleight of hand. And Pharaoh over and over sees the magicians do these things, and he's so confident that this is just, it's just happening. But, oh, I made a funny picture of Pharaoh that I found. In case your kids want to see Pharaoh chasing frogs, there it is. But this is, this next picture is what I think Pharaoh started to see this as. And if you're not old enough to remember the, the sword and the stone cartoon, you need to go back and watch it. It's, it's great, especially in the middle, they have a wizard's duel. And this is what I think Pharaoh was seeing play out. He's like, well, Aaron and Moses are just a great set of wizards versus my wizards. You know, what trick will they show me next? But Pharaoh calls to Aaron and Moses and tries to up the ante. And he says, take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice the Lord. If you'll get rid of these frogs, I'll let you go. And Moses doesn't skip a beat. He says, well, then please command me when you want the frogs to stop coming. You tell me when, and that's what I'll pray for specifically. And, and Pharaoh's answer is tomorrow. Moses says, okay. <clears throat> and this is where we see Pharaoh start to, to test that maybe this is more than a magic show. Maybe there's something else going on here. And he starts to test it by putting time-sensitive requests. And God's going to one-up him here in a minute. It's great. The frogs will go away from you and your people and your houses and your servants, and they'll left, be only left in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron leave the presence of Pharaoh, and, and Moses cries out to the Lord about the frogs, as he did, and he tells God, this is the deal I made with Pharaoh. And the Lord did exactly according to the word of Moses. The frogs quit coming the next day. They just died out where they were. The Egyptians still had to deal with dead frogs, but the plague was over. And Pharaoh saw that there was a respite. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is a time where it's specific that he was just simply stubborn. It happened exactly like he wanted it to, and, and sometimes getting what you want doesn't make you happy either. And the Lord said to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so it becomes gnats. Oh, I hate gnats. Gnats are like the worst, especially when you're out hiking or running or riding an ATV or riding a horse, and all of a sudden you just ride through a swarm of them. That's the worst. It really is. And the magicians tried to produce the gnats and they couldn't. Pharaoh's <clears throat> bulletproof plan is not so bulletproof anymore. And as magicians tell him, point blank, they say, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is just but the finger of God. You know, there, there's a God out there and, and this is just what he can do with his finger. Imagine if you really make him mad maybe we ought to think about letting these people go. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He was stubborn. And he wouldn't listen to them. 
And then, again, Moses is going to go and present himself to Pharaoh. And, and he said, you know, either let my people go or there's going to be swarms of flies. We're going to one-up it. And the houses of the Egyptians will be filled with flies. But the thing that's going to set this plague apart is none of the flies will affect Goshen where God's people live. Where suddenly the precision's really kicking in because Pharaoh's obsessed with can this God be precise? And sure enough, the plague comes and Pharaoh sends men to look. And lo and behold, there's no flies in Goshen. And Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, you know, go to your God, but you can sacrifice right here in Egypt. You don't need to go out into the desert. And Moses and Aaron say, hey, buddy, you don't remember the culture of your own people. If we sacrifice these animals here, your people will stone us to death because it's an abomination to them. We must go three days into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord just like he told us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord, but you must not go very far away. Please go plead for me that the flies will leave. And Moses said, I'm going to go out from you and plead that the Lord will get the flies out of here tomorrow. But quit cheating. Every time I do this, you still don't let us go. And as soon as they leave, and they go pray. The next day, the flies are gone. And what does Pharaoh do? He hardens his heart again. Okay, so, so far we're up to flies. Not a big deal. Fifth plagues where all the livestock die. And again, there's a separation here where the livestock of Israel will not be touched by this plague. And again... God's very specific about when he's going to start a plague and when he's going to end a plague. Speaking to the heart of Pharaoh who desperately needs to see something different than all the gods he's ever heard. And the next day, the plague hit just like God said it would. And none of the livestock in Israel were dead because Pharaoh sent people to check it out. How do you want that job? Come back to Pharaoh and tell him, yeah, man, not a single cow in and Goshen's dead. Anybody want to be that? You know where they came up with don't shoot the messenger? Probably because Pharaoh shot the messenger, but we don't really know for sure. And then God's going to say, you know, you're still not convinced. You're still hardening your heart. So here we go. Take two handfuls of soot from the kiln. What was the kiln used for? Drying bricks. The harsh work that his people were having to do, God was sending a, a two-part message here. He's sending a message to Aaron and Moses. Yes, I've seen your affliction, and what has been your affliction will become the affliction of your enemy. Throw the dust in the air, and what happens? Animals and people all over Egypt break out in boils. Man, that, that's something you can latch on to that that we serve a God who sees your affliction and He's willing to take the instrument of your affliction and make it afflict the enemy that's been persecuting you. That's a freebie. That would, that would just... And the magicians who had done all this stuff couldn't even stand up in the presence of Moses. 
You want to talk about crippling Pharaoh's lifeline to any hope that his gods were, were superior? There it is. The, the magicians can't even stand up. They're in so much pain. I shouldn't be that excited about that, but I am. And now we see the Lord has to intervene. Because I think at this point, Pharaoh would have just welcomed him into the pantheon and said, yep, you're one of the gods of Egypt now. And God said, no, I'm not here for that. But I'll just put a little courage in your heart, Pharaoh, so that you believe that you can still win this fight. Hey, buddy, come on. Come on, I'll let you take your shot. Yeah, you ever wrestled around with your kids where you just let them come back a little bit so there's hope and then squish them like a bug? If not, maybe you don't wrestle your kids right, but they don't win. I want to read this to you. Exodus 9, 13 and 14. The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, making sure it's distinct, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. I, I love the way God phrased that. There's none like me. Because Pharaoh's still holding on to hope that this is just another of the gods to be appeased. But you know who else might be thinking that a little bit in the back of his mind too, if we're being fair? Moses. Because Moses grew up with the gods of Egypt. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and, and will not let them go. Behold, at this time tomorrow I will cause a heavy hail to fall such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Anybody in here like hailstorms? Well, people in Egypt didn't either. They didn't see them very often, but they're going to see one like no other. And he's giving them a warning here. If you go in verses 19 and 21, God's giving advance notice. If you want to make it through this, you get your animals inside, you get your people inside, because I'm going to unleash it. I'm going to let her fly, and I'm going to destroy and kill anything that's outside. That's very fair of God. He gives them warning. And then he tells Moses to stretch out his hand so that the hail would fall. But this is hail unlike any other. And, and translators have messed this up over and over and over. The, the original translation reads that there, there was hail with fire within the hail. Now, why is that a big deal? Has anybody ever been able to trap fire inside of ice? In the ancient world, what was hail? It was a manifestation of one of the gods being angry. What was fire? It was the manifestation of a god who was angry. But did the ice god and the fire god ever work together? No, they're natural enemies. They don't physically work together. 
There's no way in the realm of the world that that works together. And believe me, I like to play with fire. I have tried to set ice on fire. It is very, very difficult. It's even harder to get it contained inside the ice. I'm not saying it's impossible because it obviously was possible for God. But God took the fact that two gods of the Egyptian pantheon who would never work together in the eyes of the Egyptians, he forced them to collaborate. There is no God like me anywhere. I can make two of your gods who are enemies attack you together. I can only imagine how afraid Pharaoh is at this point. I had to put another picture in there, you know. The hail struck down everything that was in the field. Now, everything that was in the field was not all of their crops because we know this too, that some crops are planted and come up at a different time. But everything in Egypt proper got hailed out. And only the people of Israel and Goshen were safe from the storm. And Pharaoh calls Moses, and he's got a little different tune this time. He says, this time I have sinned. Man, if it were that easy to get people to recognize they had sinned, maybe God would send hail and fire a little more. This time I've sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses told him, as soon as I walk out the door and get out of the city and stretch my hands to the Lord, the thunder will cease, but I know you don't fear the Lord. You're more afraid of what you're seeing than you are of the Lord. And, and I know that there's crops that haven't come up yet that you're putting your faith in. And he went out and prayed and God stopped the, stopped the hail. But when Pharaoh saw it ended, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. Man, if that's not the condition of the world today, it sins and hardens its heart against God. We're going to go really quickly here through the last of this. And God tells Moses, go into Pharaoh for I've hardened his heart. I've, I've helped put that courage and that stubbornness into Pharaoh so that I can show the rest of my signs to you and to the children of Israel. And, and the way that he phrases it here in a minute to, so that you'll tell these stories in the presence of your grandchildren and how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians for your sake. And he goes in and... And the people of Egypt begin to plead with Pharaoh, how long are you going to let these people be a snare to us? We're going to be ruined because of your stubbornness. And Pharaoh continues to be stubborn. So he stretches out his hand, Moses does, and locusts come to eat up the rest of the crops. So now they're without livestock. They're without both seasons of crops. And it's still not enough. And the last thing that we're going to talk about this week is the darkness that God has Moses call down so that everyone in Egypt knows 
because almost every deity in Egypt was tied to Earth's relationship to the sun and light. And God makes it pitch black where they can't see their hand in front of their face for three days. Moses goes back to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, hey, go take your little ones with you. You you can go and sacrifice. And Moses says, we need our livestock. And he says, no, I'm not going there. And if I see you, if you see my face again, you've signed your death warrant. How hard is Pharaoh's heart to watch an entire nation suffer? How hard is his heart to, to let the people around him suffer and die? It's so hard that he's threatening to kill the messenger. If you want a picture of what our world looks like, it's right there. And it's a warning to us as Christians not to let our heart become hardened to the world. Because if we're like Pharaoh to the world around us that's lost and enslaved, what extremes are we going to go to just being stubborn? Well, I can't share the gospel with them. Yeah, you can. You're just stubborn. Well, and on the flip side of that, you're going to see a lot of people in the world that will never accept the gospel because they're stubborn. It's a matter of heart. The, the whole story behind the first nine plagues, the story behind the story, so to speak, is the heart. Are you strengthening your heart in the Lord or are you hardening it to what God wants you to do? That's a question we're going to have to wrestle with because I can't give you an easy answer. And I'll, I'll tell you how you wrestle with it. You get the Word of God and you get in the Word of God. And it's, it's the best mirror in the world. The, the Holy Spirit will use God's Word like a mirror and He'll show you where you're falling short. Not to condemn you, not to crush you, but to put strength into your heart that I'll do a work in you more wonderful than I did in Egypt. Or are we on the other side of that where we're hardening our heart to the work that God's calling us to do? Because I can't or because I've never done it that way before. Or it might kill a friendship. It's a matter of heart this morning.